Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. If you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And we're going to continue on in our series. We're, we're, we've been doing a series. We started with a most emotional health. And we're, then we moved into relational health. The reason we went in that order is we can't have a healthy we until we have a healthy me. If you bring an unhealthy me to our, our attempt at a healthy we, it's not going to be real healthy. And so we've got to deal with us. And then we've got to have relational uh, health. And so we're, we're looking at this whole thing of how do we do relationships? relationships in a healthy way because the fact is our relationships are the container for what God wants to pour out. When God pours out upon us, uh, the strain is going to be experienced in our relationships. And so if we can learn to do relationships in a healthy way, then God can bless us more. The fact is our relationships are the host of our spiritual realities. Think well, that's a weird statement. Let me let me unpack that for a minute. Our relationships are the are what hosts either the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of darkness. We talked about it last week. We won't get it into it. You can check it out on the podcast. But Luke chapter eleven, Jesus talks about when the when an evil spirit is driven out of a man, it goes to the dry places, and then it will return and look into the windows of that house. The word house is oikos. Uh, it means household. It means your the spheres of your relationships. The enemy will look in. To your relationships and say, can I get in? And, and by that, he is defining, he, uh, you can put it this way, much of what we call demonic oppression is simply the fruit of unhealthy relations. Doesn't negate the existence of the enemy, it just defines his entry point. In other words, in order for the enemy to invade your life, if you are living healthy, then what he's going to do is he's going to try to get on the back of some unhealthy individual and introduce their unhealth into your health. He's going to try to introduce their dysfunction into your function. You know, so uh, we need to have healthy relationships because healthy relationships are the safeguard to the enemy infiltrating your personal life and the corporate life of the church. And that's why relationships are so healthy, are, are so in, essential, so important, such a crucial subject. And so uh, we, we, we're continuing to look at this whole theme. What I want to look at this morning, I want to kind of springboard off of what we talked about last week. And just very quick, I know I'm, I'm a man of review, okay? Uh, repetition is the mother of learning. You can either listen to the podcast or tune in to the first 15 minutes of my message. This morning, I I don't have that much time. But here's what we talked about last week. And I want to kind of springboard off of that. And it's, it, we talked about three seemingly disconnected things. We talked about spiritual authority, relational boundaries, and the essential nature of honor. How do those three things connect? Spiritual authority. And essentially, we talked out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul talked about his influence being extended. He's saying that I have influence and I'm wanting God to give me influence beyond you. So he said, how are we going to do that? He, he, he's going to be real faithful in what he's been given. So we need to realize, and one translation talks, refers to it as a field and a fence line. The Greek word is kanon, your influence, or the limitations on your influence. You have a, 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 a place of influence in your life that you have spiritual authority over. So you have your influence, and your spiritual authority is the right to exert your will within your space. 
And the most basic spiritual authority we have all been given is the, the responsibility or the authority to self-govern. We talked last week that in the kingdom, responsibility and authority go hand in hand. God doesn't just give you authority willy-nilly. I don't know what willy-nilly means, but you know, willy, I don't know where that came from. But God doesn't just give you authority. Your authority is connected to a responsibility. He never gives you responsibility without giving you the authority of the authorization to rule and to run that area. And the most basic spiritual authority you and I have is the authority, or the flip side is the responsibility to self-govern. Nobody else is called to govern you. You are called to govern you. Now, we are under authority and given uh, environments in our life. As, as young people, the children are upstairs, but you young people are under the authority of your parents. But still, you have the responsibility to self-govern. You are responsible for your attitude. You are responsible for your thought life and your emotions and how you steward that. You know, it's always a dicey thing to confront your kids on their attitude. You have an attitude. What? 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 Because what is an attitude? How do you define attitude? Attitude is the expression of your beliefs and your feelings coming out. Now, you can have a good attitude. We used to call it copping a tood. Or you could cop a bad tood by... Because of what you're thinking and what you're feeling, you're exhibiting a negative attitude. And so we're responsible. I can't, I cannot take responsibility for your attitude and you cannot take responsibility for mine. That would be dysfunctional. Because you're trying to exert influence into a realm you have no authority. You're trying to take responsibility for something you have no authority over. You know what that means? Frustration. So we all have the responsibility of self-government. And so we have spiritual authority. We have relational boundaries. I need to understand the boundary lines. I can't reach in to your yard and take responsibility for your tomatoes and to weed your garden. And you can't reach over my fence and eat my tomatoes without my permission. If I let you, that is dysfunctional. I am abdicating my authority. And you are overextending yours. And that is a recipe for conflict and frustration. So we all have to take responsibility for self-government. And then we have honor. Where, what is this honor thing? Well, honor is simply the acknowledgement and the respect for each other's right to rule their own attitude. And then we have, we, and then we have to, a good relationships say, I am going to honor you by allowing, you, you have the complete right to have that bad tood, okay? You got it, you're copping a tood. You got the complete right to have a bad attitude. And I have the complete right to extract myself from this relationship until you correct that attitude. I'm not gonna try to con control you, but I'm also gonna guard what comes into my life. And so we, we, that's honor. Honor says you are a powerful person. I acknowledge that and I allow you to be a powerful person. And I'm a powerful person. And I'm going to rule my life. I'm going to rule it by this internal value system that's given to me. So that, that's what we talked about last week. What I want to talk about this week, I want to talk about navigating the crisis of increase. 
You think, what does that have to do with this? Well, we'll we'll get there. Hopefully we can tie it together in a few minutes here. Acts chapter 6. Now listen to this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, this is the early church, there was increase in numbers, a complaint by the Hellenists, there was a certain group of these Hellenist Gentiles, they arose against the Hebrew, so that the Hellenist Christians arose against the Hebrew Christians because the Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. So there's, there's these two little groups of disciples, the two little, little cliques in the, local, in the church. We're getting angry at each other and fighting over the food. And so the disciples called them all together and they said this, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom and we will appoint to this whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the holy spirit and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas a proselyte of Antioch these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what we have here in this passage is a window into exponential growth and what the challenge of increase in the life of the church Now, there's application for us individually. What happens when increase comes in your life? Because the blessing of increase also brings challenges with it. And the blessing can actually become what feels like a curse if you don't steward it right. Because the blessing brought conflict. Because increase will always put a greater strain on your life. And those times of increase, it's a time for us to redefine the relationship. It's a time for us to reevaluate what we're carrying. And so that's what the disciples had to do. And I can look back in the history of our church in times of increase, and I realized we came to a fork in the road, and because I didn't understand some of the principles in this, rather than being able to maintain what we obtained, we had to go back to a lower level. We had to go back to where we were before the increase because we didn't know how to steward the increase. And so there is, there is a challenge to increase in your life. There's a challenge to us corporately when it comes to increase, and there's a challenge to our personal life when it comes to increase. There's a challenge to your family when it comes to a time of increase. And the skill set that brings the increase doesn't necessarily qualify to steward the increase. You put it this way. It's very rare for a good general to make a good governor. There's a lot of generals in human history that really stunk at being a governor over what they conquered. They knew how to gain the increase, but they didn't know how to governor the increase in their life. And it took two different skill sets. One is a matter of power. The other is a matter of authority. And so we need to understand these two dynamics. And this is a huge, huge subject. 
That whole thing of power and authority. We, we talked about it. We touched on it last week. Did a series on this a couple of years ago. But we need to understand there is an order in the kingdom to how God operates. And what God will do, what he introduces with power, he then will introduce authority structures to manage. And if we don't understand that, we can miss the ability to continue in the blessing of God. We can catch the first wave but disqualify ourselves for the second wave. Because in the order of the kingdom, it's always power and then authority. Jesus taught us to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I used to preach. I know I've had to repent of a lot of my preaching over the years. So... My apologies this morning if I have to repent next year of some of the things I'm saying this morning. That's why we need to be noble Bereans. I preach, you go home and say, is that really in the word? And if you find it isn't, please come back and talk to me. Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I used to preach that that, is, that, that was just a, a Hebraic form of poetry in a sense of communication that he was kind of emphasizing the same thing twice and there is a there is a form of communication in scripture where that happens but if you begin to drill down often the passages that scholars attribute that communication style to in actuality that's not really what's going on he's emphasizing something more so when he says thy kingdom come the kingdom coming is a matter of power impacting when the kingdom come, the kingdom comes with power. The kingdom of heaven is a matter of power. Paul said it's not a matter of words, but of power. So the kingdom breaking in is a matter of power. But his will being done is a matter of authority. In other words, what God's power displaces, his authority replaces. What God's, when God's power begins to impact our life, then it's incumbent upon us to lean in and figure out how do we have to rearrange our life in order to steward the gains of that, in, of that increase, of that impact of power. Now that's true on an individual level. Anytime you've received a touch from heaven, anytime there's a fresh impartation in your life, you need to lean in because it's going to demand a restructuring of your life. There's going to, you're going to have to yield to God's authority to a greater degree after an impartation than you do before. Because God's introducing new things in your life. An impartation is going to take more ground in your life. Those encounters with the power of God were not just a momentary experience. God never intended them to simply be an event that you talk about. It's, it's the beginning of a process by which he takes more ground in your life. And if we understand that, we can begin to conserve the gains of what God does in our life. Now, I hope that makes sense to you because this is an essential element. There are so many people that have had repeated encounters with God, but in the end are no different or even sometimes worse off than they were before the encounter. And what it does is it brings some people to the conclusion, well, that wasn't really an encounter with God. I've seen that individually, and I've seen it corporately. Matter of fact, it is... Luke chapter 11, where Jesus says, 
When an evil spirit is driven out of a man, where the enemy has had occupancy, where the enemy has exercised some influence in your life and you have an encounter with God, whether it's a truth encounter where you see something fresh in your life or whether it's an empower, a power encounter where something breaks off your life, there's a fresh mantle that comes on your life. Whatever that looks like, you've had an encounter with God, something has happened to you then what happens is the enemy is displaced for a short amount of time. And that is the hour in which you begin to lean in and say, okay, God, how do I steward what you've given me here? Because the enemy will circle back around. He's gone to the dry places. And as soon as you enter a dry season, then the enemy's going to come back and look in the windows of your relationships and say, is there another way in? And he says that he will find it swept clean and empty and he will bring seven other friends unlike unto himself. And in the end, that the, the state of that individual will be worse than in the beginning. They had a real encounter, but they end up in a worse place. I've seen it with churches. I know of churches who had tremendous moves of God in the 90s and to this day are shells of what they were before the move of God. And it brings some people to the conclusion, the last thing I want is revival. And it breaks my heart because it discredits the legitimate move of God. And it wasn't a matter of the legitimacy of the move. It's a matter of them disqualifying themselves on the back end and not understanding how are we going to steward this. And that's what was happening in this passage. If you look back in chapter 5, it starts out with signs and wonders being released on the church. There was, there was a tremendous move of God to the point where they would bring cloths to Paul and, and they would lay people in Peter's shadow. So they would just lay people along the road so that when Peter was going to the temple, maybe his shadow would be cast upon them and they'd be healed. That's some power. That's revival. That is awesome. And you know what happened? Persecution. And then they leaned in and cried out for more power. Rather than backing off, they pressed in for more. And then you know what happened? Greater increase. And the blessing of increase brought the challenge of stewarding the increase. And all of a sudden, the relationships began to be strained. And the first manifestation was that was complaints rising from the Hellenistic Jews. Complaints were the first sign that, uh-oh, our systems are breaking. I remember back in 05, we, were, uh, we hit this move. We had just moved into this building, and we hit this pocket of healing, and just the, the, just the presence of God was so intense. The first time, I think the first time we ever hit 400 people in attendance, the very next week we hit 500 in attendance. We had 100 new people come. And within a couple months, there was, there was like 150 people, new people that stuck. It was crazy. All the systems snapped and broke. And the Lord spoke to us during that whole, there's several years there, the Lord spoke to us about, I'm going to send a move to teach you to steward the move. And I believe this is some of that. Because if we don't restructure our relationships in time of increase, we will not be able to contain it. Just as Jesus implies in Luke chapter 11 that our human relationships are the very thing that are the inroad and host the demonic in our life. And if we don't deal with, if, see, relational health is a defense against the attack of the enemy in your life. 
You want, you want to tear down the torment of the enemy in your mind? Get around some really healthy people and begin to live in a transparent way. Get around people that you're going to share what's going on in your head that sounds so true when you say it to yourself, but is embarrassing when you say it to them, and say it. And be embarrassed and shame, get embarrassed out of ever believing that stuff in your head. We need those healthy relationships. The very thing that stewards the demonic and the enemy can use to torment us is the very thing that stewards the divine and hosts the divine. Relationships. I'm telling you, it is so abundantly clear, and I don't have time to get into it this morning, but Ephesians is so clear that it's only in the, I'll give you the verse. The second to the last verse in Ephesians chapter 1 says it this way. God hath put everything under Jesus' feet, comma, for the church, comma, the fullness of him. The church and the church alone is the fullness of God. You as an individual will never host the fullness of God on your own. God will not give it to you. It's too big. It's too much. It will make you prideful. So what God will do, he will answer your prayers by the person that sits next to you on Sunday morning or the person on the other side. And often it will come in the package of the person you don't want to have the relationship the most. But they, they are the avenue into the fullness of God. It's the relationships. It's the body of Christ that is the container for the fullness of God. You have a measure, Ephesians 4. It, when he begins to introduce the five-fold ministry, it's very clear. He says, we have been, each been given a measure of the gift of Christ. Do you have a measure? I have a measure. But we only have a measure. We're like a pieces of a puzzle. No one wants to hang a piece of a puzzle on their wall, unless you're weird. What's that? Well, it's, it's just a piece of a puzzle. you got to put the other pieces together, and then you get the picture. You have a measure, I have a measure, but it's only when I bring my piece to your piece. And the irreducible minimum of the fullness of Christ is two people. Because wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. He will commit something to the two, he'll never commit to the one. You say, well, wait a minute, he's omniscient. Yes, he is. But he is more omniscient. <laughs> he's more there when he, he's more there when you bring two people together. I don't understand that fully, but I'm telling you, he will commit to the two something he won't commit to the one. You need other believers in your life. And sometimes you'll cry out to God for answers and he'll withhold them and you'll give up out of the prayer room and go out for coffee with someone and they'll answer every question you've been crying out for. Because God, what God has been trying to get your attention is, that, yeah, you need to seek him, but you also need to seek some other believers. Because relationships are that which hosts the, the kingdom, the spiritual realm that you are longing for and that you are accommodating. You can have relationships that, that accommodate the wrong spirit, and you can have relationships that accommodate the right spirit. And so what happened in this passage was there was increase, and the increase began to put a strain on the systems. And so what they did is they cried out to God, and they got wisdom. I want to look at just a few things. I'm, I'm going to, I, usually I don't read uh, my notes off, but I'm going to read you what I wrote here in the office this morning because we only have nine minutes and I want to be a good steward of time. Season of increase demands that you define your role. It demands that you define the relationship. You've got to know the season that you're in because different seasons will demand different things of you. 
So you got to learn to govern your gains. So that every time there's a new season, when you have a new encounter with the Lord, something new has been introduced into your life. And a new season will demand a new you. Means you've got to live up to the season. See, in, in power, when you encounter the power of God, the power of God first comes upon you and it impacts your life. But then you've got to unpack the impact. You've got to begin to take what God has done in your life and begin to incorporate it into your life. You've got to restructure around that. It's that picture where Jesus is saying that the enemy will come back and look into the windows of that house. You've got to move the, the walls around. So he, it's unrecognizable. He realizes, I can't infiltrate this life anymore because it's not the same place. I'm going to go someplace where it'd be easier to get in because this guy has changed. This woman has changed her life. They've restructured their relationships. And it's not a coincidence that the disciples, what they did is they realized the way in which we relate with the church has to change in an hour of increase. Love that Kara brought that up this morning. It's like when, when increase comes in, we all go up together. But when one goes up, everybody else has to begin to fill in that gap. And so you see again and again in Scripture, in times of increase, there was a new layer of leadership that was added to the church. And the disciples... What they had to do, the, the apostles had to realize, we've got to do more of less. We've got to do less things and we've got to do more of them. Because that's what increase de demands. Increase demands that I evaluate what's in my fence line and I've got to determine what can I keep in there so that I will steward it well. And we have a tendency to think that when God begins to bless us, we get to do more. When in reality, you get to do less. You get to do more of what you're doing less of. But you got to do less in order for the increase to continue. And so what happened is, is they, they said this. They said, it is not right for us to stop Reading, you know, studying the word and being in the pocket of prayer. Because the very thing fueling the increase was revelation and power. Power through prayer and revelation through the word was creating this exponential increase. And so what happens is we can become a victim of our own success. It's true of, for us as individuals, it's true for companies, it's true for organizations, it's true for churches. That when we break into increase, we can actually succumb to being a victim of the increase. And the very thing that brought the increase brings with it temptations, enticements, and strains that will actually sabotage the increase. And so in hours of increase in your life, you have to stop and evaluate You'll begin to hear the complaints. There's strain that's happening. And those strains are the signal that we're going to have to change the relationship. And so what the, the apostles did is they evaluated. They said it's not right for us to, do, to take ourselves from this to do this. They weren't saying this isn't important. And it was, it's obvious from what they were saying that there was up until that time they had been doing both things. They had been doing both the devotional, going after God and the Spirit. 
And they had been doing the administrative. They had been uh, making sure that the flock was taken care of. But it was the strain of this, the physical needs all of a sudden began to rise because of the increase of people. And they had to evaluate and they had to say, if I have to pick and choose, we know that this is the important thing. So I'm going to do more of less. And I'm going to really focus on the thing that brought the increase. I'm going to give myself to this. And what that did is that, like Kara said this morning, it provided space for a whole new layer of leadership to step into and grow up in. And the danger is that many of us, in times of increase, we won't let go of former things. Sometimes it's out of guilt. I know I've struggled with that as a pastor. I feel, you know, I feel like, well, you know, I, I need to do those things because I'm the pastor. The problem is that there is a limitation on what I can do. If I'm going to do this, I've got to let go of this. So I've got to evaluate between these two things, and I've got to make the decision at risk of being misunderstood so that I'm faithful to the call on my life. Now, that's not unique to me, but I'm telling you, I feel that strain. And so we've got to evaluate those things and say, we're going we're to let our assignment drive our priorities and we're going to let go of some things. And the danger of not letting go is, is there, there's a number of things. Number one, you, are going, you will end up losing what you gain if you don't let go of some things. Number two, you are going to rob other people from the very thing. See, when increase comes, we're all connected. We all go up together. But if you refuse to go up and you just want to keep going out, you are going to break, but you are also become the lid on other people to develop. So we've got to be willing to give things away. And when we give them away, other people can step in and they go up with us. It's an opportunity for everybody to grow. But in order for everybody to grow, for one person to grow into it, somebody has to go out of it. So we've got to evaluate what are the things I need to do and what are the things I need to let go. Because hours of increase, seasons of increase, demand you re-examine your relationships and reset some boundary lines. You've got to define the relationship. You ever heard that phrase, DTR? Define the relationship. It's a very wise thing to do. We talked about last week how a lot of times relational conflict is because there's fuzzy lines. And we, we didn't realize, sometimes it's a seasonal change. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't interact with my adult children the same way I deal with my 14-year-old, who's the biggest one in the family. I, don't, I, don't re I relate with them differently. I, I exert more influence in the form of authority than I do over my, than I do over my adult children, with, where, who I exert influence in the form of counsel <laughs> with them. So we got to know the seasons. Because if we don't understand the change in season, we're going to create conflict. Because if I try to tell my 29-year-old son how he needs to cut his hair and clean his room and stay on his case about those things, I'm going to strain the relationship. So i got to understand changing seasons. I've got to understand hours of increase because those are times for us to reevaluate and define the relationship. And when we can clearly define it, what the disciples did the apostles came before the church and they clearly defined a shift in the relationship. There was a change. 
in the relationship. And they clearly define that so there would be no misunderstanding and there wouldn't be hurt feelings like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why, why, aren't, the, why aren't the apostles out here waiting on tables? They made it clear. We defined the relationship. And then they delegated the things they still couldn't carry to others so that they could carry it. Hours of increase bring with them a challenge. There are a lot of let me put it this way. With the revival that broke out in the mid-90s that had been prophesied about for many years, there's a, the, this global move. Now, some of you have gotten saved since then, and you think this is normal. I'm telling you, I lived, I, I was in ministry before revival, and I've been in ministry after, and it's a lot easier afterwards. There's things that we take for granted as normal that before the move of God in the 90s just... It, I mean, we just dreamt about those kind of things. Things are different. The revival was an inbreaking of power. But on the backside, it demands that we change things. It demands that we redefine relationships. And as things grow, every time we come to a new level, every time we have a season of growth, every time that things begin to morph, we've got to continually reevaluate how are we going to structure things in our personal lives and corporately? All down through human history. I'm, I'm listening to this, this college course on military strategy. It just interests me. And it's a study on way back into Grecian warfare and Roman warfare and, and all this. And I'm, I'm up to the World War II now. But uh, it, it's fascinating. And there's, there are certain generals, and they were rare in human history, that understood the connection between military invasion and the governing that would have to take place afterwards. Most of them totally disconnected that, and they saw it as two different things, and, and they, didn't, they didn't want to have any kind of thing, anything to deal with this thing on the, the governing afterwards. And I think it's indicative of a lot of churches in the move of God that we cry out for kingdom power but we don't restructure things and, and come into deeper relationships on the backside. The real change in your life is not going to take place through power encounters alone. The real change, the lasting change, is going to come through relationships with people who carry authority in your life. People that can get in your business and can place demands on you. And can say to you, you know what, this is wrong and you need to correct this. And there are a lot of people, I'm concerned for the revival movement. There's a lot of talk, we cry out for power, but they, there's a diminishing of the value of the local church. The kingdom brings power, but it's found in the, in the local churches where we find authority in the kingdom. Where people, we come out and we allow them to speak into our life and, and correct us and we come under that. And we all need that. I have people in my life that I go to and I ask them, hey, this, I, I'm, I'm working through this. What do you think? And I've got people that yank my chain. I've got fathers in my life. We need that in our lives. Because what the, the experience you have through the encounter with God is established under authority in God. We bring in a lot of external speakers, and we, and we love that, man, around here. We, I love revival. I love the power coming, and that's, that's all great, and we're going to continue that. That is an essential element of the kingdom of God. 
But it's not what the special speaker brings in, but it's what we allow God to establish during the other weeks of the year that really bring lasting change. You know what happens on the end of this passage? The end of this passage, it says, the, the, the word of God continued to increase and the disciples multiplied. It cranked up the increase. And then it says, and many priests came to faith. All of a sudden, they were, it was a religious culture and they began to have tremendous cultural impact. And you know what happened then? More persecution. But it was the cycles of the kingdom. Go ahead and stand. I want to read you through three things. New seasons demand a new you. Growth demands a new you. If you enter into a season where God changes things in your environment, but you don't catch up by an inward change, if you don't change on the inside, eventually what's happening on the outside will, will lower to the level of your interior life. Your mindset will set the watermark in your life. If you don't change, if you don't grow to match the external increase, that increase will decrease until it matches your internal life, okay? So we have got to grow up into, you've got to grow into your breakthrough. When you have a breakthrough, it's a time to lean in and say, God, I want to grow into what you've done in my life. What got you there won't keep you there. Contrary to popular opinion, the skill set that brings growth often will not continue the growth. It demands an, a different skill set. And so we need to lean in and say, God, okay, how do I manage what you've given to me? Again, generals often make poor governors. The new seasons will demand new relationships. And sometimes those new relationships are with old friends. But it means that you're going you're gonna to adjust the boundaries. You're going to redefine the relationship. I'm telling you, a, a, a touch from heaven will often change the relationship in your marriage. It will change how you relate with your children. And often, your children and your spouse will resist temporarily that change. Not because they weren't praying for it, but because they don't know how to react to the new you. And so you aren't really changed until they expect the new you. And once they've accommodated to the new you, then you really are new. And until that happens, you're still in the process of change. Again, I, I, you see this all the time with Teen Challenge. Guys would come home, and they're a new them. But the whole family was treating them as the old them. And often the guys would get resentful that you're not treating them like the new the person I am. They, they don't have any room to get resentful. It's just going to take time. But understand, both of you, on both sides of this relationship, when somebody gets touched by God, it's going to take time, but you're going to have to accommodate to the new you. So new seasons demand new relationships. Sometimes those relationships are with old friends, and new seasons will demand new relationships with new people. I'll stop. I was, I was at the Alpha gathering yesterday, and, and I love, because the guy that's on the video, honest, I'm going to stop. The, the guy that's on the video is an Anglican from L London, an Anglican priest, and uh, he's talking about the things of the Spirit, and it's so intriguing to me, because he is so outside of my experience. And what they've broke into is a tremendous, it, that, that, the church that 
launched Alpha is the church that Steve Hill received his impartation out of which Brownsville came. An Anglican church. And the Alpha course predated that revival. It's a tremendous church. And it's so interesting to me because the way, and it jars me and makes me think, and it's like so insightful. And some of the things he's saying, it's not that it's new, it's that he's saying it in a new way and just tweaked a little bit and from a little different perspective. And it helps me to see things I would have never seen because he's coming from a different perspective I never had. And that's why we need new relationships. Your old relationships are an echo chamber that simply agree with what you already believe. That's why you're hanging out with them. You've been hanging out with them because they think you're brilliant. They agree with you. And so what we need are these relationships that are new that cause us to look at different things. And a new season in your life, God will often bring new people into your life, and it's a mark of a new season. And you need to hitch your wagon to some of those new relationships because they'll pull you into things that you would have never went into without that relationship. But that demands that we, we talked a few weeks ago. New opportunities awaken old insecurities. And so all of a sudden, whoa, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I really want to venture into this new relationship, this new realm, because it's not. A... That's exactly what God's trying to get at through this new relationship. He's trying to uproot some of those things and pull you into something new that he has for you. And if you will succumb to those weaknesses, you'll cut off those new relationships, get back into your old echo chamber, and you'll just all congratulate each other on how brilliant you are, but you're not going any higher because you went as high as you could with those friends. So we always need new relationships, okay? So Father, Lord, I pray, God, that you would continue to stretch us. Lord, we thank you for hours of increase. Lord, I th if, if you are in a season of increase in your life, I want you to come very quickly and stand across the front. I want to pray over you. If you are in a season of increase in, in some area of your life, I want you to come. I just want to pray for you. You know, between power and authority, the power of God that comes through encounter and the authority of God which enables you to steward it, between those two things is the necessity of the wisdom of God. Because the wisdom of God is what's going to bridge your encounter and, and begin to teach you how to steward it so it becomes a lifestyle under authority, okay? So, Father, I ask God that you would grant us wisdom Lord, I ask for wisdom and revelation. If you would, just even put your hand on your head. Father, open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, we say with Solomon, we don't even know how to go out and go in. Lord, what you have for us is so far beyond us. We don't even understand it when it's in front of us, Lord. Lord, Sometimes we're so locked into our old ways that we don't even recognize opportunities when they present themselves. So, Lord, I'm asking, open the eyes of our understanding. God, teach us. Lord, we humble ourselves. Lord, we want to steward increase. Lord, we want to be an avenue where many go up because of us. So, Lord, increase our wisdom and understanding. Lord, I ask that you would help us Lord, we love to experience power, but Lord, help us submit to authority. Power is experienced, but authority must be yielded to. Lord, as you bring authority into our life, Lord, we want to yield to it. Lord, be it your word 
in our private time, be it some authority figure that comes in there, the avenue with which you put pressure on us to deal with things. Lord, help us, grace us not to miss the opportunity to be restructured so that we can contain more increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.